Greetings to all people of the nations. Welcome back. My name is Lubio Lombo, Ugo, and this is After Service Live. Uh, I'm happy to be back here. Well, I am always happy to be here. Uh, I don't know why I keep saying every time I am happy, but I am happy. Uh, and I'm still happy. Today, we are joined by two people again. Um, and let them introduce themselves. Let them tell us who they are and what they do. Greetings, so. everyone. I trust you are all well. My name is Brian Erudite. I serve in Focus Kenya, is a STEM staff here at JQuart, Christian Union, and also I double up as a STEM staff to Malu Zitek. Thank you. Praise God. My name is Abigail Wehaki. I am born again, and I'm a third year student here at JQuart. What does a STEM staff do? Basically, the organization I work with is Fellowship of Christian Unions. That is the acronym for FOCUS. And STEM staff stand for STEM. The word STEM is an abbreviation for short-term experience in ministry staff. And what I do is mentorship, discipleship, and capacity building for students in a Christian union. So you are here to mentor, build capacity. And disciple. And disciple students. Yes. High school campus students, not high school students. Okay. Um Okay. I think we can we can get to our topics today. Is today we're going to have a discussion on the narrow way that is from Matthew chapter seven, verse thirteen, and um a topic entitled Dead to Sin from Romans chapter 6. But we will begin with uh, Matthew chapter 7, and I will read. Uh, Matthew chapter 7 verse 13 says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Um... Yeah, Brian, um, after reading this, can you help us debunk? Debunk is the word. Help us debunk um, what's happening. And whose words are these? What is going on? Why do you think? Why is it important that we study this today? Thank you for that. Matthew 7, from verse 13 to 29, is a climax to the Sermon on the Mountain that began chapters earlier that is from Matthew chapter 5, 6 and 7 and this is an invitation that Christ is making to his audience to respond to the message that he has been building up on. Here is Beto still alluding to a verse where I talk of a verse like Proverbs fourteen twelve that says that there is a road that seems right before a man but then in the end it leads to destruction. But specifically here is intending to point his audience to himself as the way, the truth, and the life. Just alluding again to John 14.6 that he himself is the only one who can lead them to the Father. He himself is the only one who is able to preserve them in faith. And he himself is the only one who can accord them true salvation. So so you, you mean to say that when he says that 
enter by the narrow gate and this narrow gate is hard to find he's referring to himself as he he's hard to find you know when we read a book like the book of jeremiah chapter 29 verses 13 it says that if we seek the lord with all our heart then we shall find him mm. and the reason why this is a difficult call is because we have to calculate the cost of following Christ that is not just some sort of what we call nominalism that is calling us to i like a saying by dietrich bonhoeffer who says that the call to christ is a call to die and basically that's the invitation that specifically as is inviting his audience is calling them to die to self is calling them to die to all the other things and take him as the lord over their life just like Paul said in Galatians 2:20 that he has been crucified with Christ and that's why it's very difficult because they are law of the world the things of the world are always competing for our attention and our affection and as such he knows that the command that is giving here is a call to self denial as it say later in Luke 9:23 is a call to die to self to deny the things of the world which isn't necessarily easy and that again is just affirming the saying that is quite famous that not everyone talking about heaven is going there so it's calling them to a point to reflect that are you actually on this narrow path or you are self deceived thinking that you are there but actually you miss it by a very big margin okay yeah. um abi um help us help us understand i i do know that even revelation chapter 3 towards verse 20 talks about how Jesus himself is knocking at the door uh, and whoever gets to answer uh, he will come in and dine with him he he says that salvation has been uh, freely given uh, so what 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 is difficult i think Brian has has mentioned that but what is difficult about finding this way why does the bible say that it is difficult to find this way yet we see Christ actually opening up um this door of salvation that whoever gets to hear may believe in him and live right um scripture says that you are first born of water and then born of the spirit to be born of water is to come through the way of man through flesh now when you're born in of water like what you are introduced to is the world and the things of the world but now it takes time for you to be to accept Jesus Christ then you become born of the spirit so as human beings there is that aspect of you being an animal of habit and so when Jesus comes into your life when you make him your lord and savior there are things you have to let go of because this god this Jesus you're talking about is holy and at the same time loving and that is why he's very ready he's knocking at the door of, uh, at the doors of our hearts asking us to let him in yeah and because it's out of love and because he's doing it out of love he's giving us that will yeah but then when he comes in and you allow him into your life there's that aspect where you have to abide by the holiness because he the main intention is when the main focus is you being transformed into to be more like him through the, through his whole, through his spirit who will present us as holy to god so it's about um you now living um sometimes sacrificing your desires sacrificing your wants sacrificing your needs besides um the um Jesus brings about a very different doctrine we are told to die to self we are told to love one another one another as you love someone else you know it's not all self love 
you should also consider others. Um, in the kingdom, you are told the greatest in the kingdom are those who are who who serve, which is very contradictory to the world because we are told that uh, okay, if you look at the world, it's like as if it's as if those who are served are greater than those who are serving. So that is why it becomes difficult. And yeah, I think that is what I'd like to say. Yeah. Anything and to also see the reason why it's again difficult is because of falsehood. When you read the book of John, chapter 10, from verses 9, it talks of, it says that he is actually the gate to the ship, that all those who came previously were thieves. And even at the backdrop of Matthew 7, from building from verses 23, it talks of that actually there are false teachers who are out there who are Ravera's schools in sheep clothing, that they may seem apparently as the way, but they're actually not the way, or rather, the people might be seeming to pointing you to the way, but they are pointing you contrary to another way. Because the devil, or even the works of the devil, there is no single day anyone will come and tell you that I'm selling a ticket to heaven. But rather, everyone comes with and masquerades that this is a ticket to heaven, ticket to heaven. But on the contrary, it isn't. That's why we are even called to be discernful, according to First John chapter 4. Because there are a lot of seemingly ways which are not the true way, but rather just ways that, again, lead us to destruction. Okay. So knowing that, how do we know we have found the right way? Or can we know that we have found the right way or the narrow gate? Is there, are there things that we can look at, at our lives or the lives of other people that can tell us that this person has found the narrow gate? Yes, there is. When you read that chapter that you are delving in, verses 20 says that you shall know them by their fruit. Yes, it's true. We are not saved by works. We are saved by grace, through faith, but then you are saved unto good works, like Ephesians 2.10 says, that you are the workmanship of Christ. This simply means that as the Holy Spirit continually works in us and on us, what happens is we become a reflection of Jesus Christ. And this continuous work then affirms the salvation that is in us. Just like in the Old Testament where circumcision was an external expression of the inner faith. Similarly to us, these good works could lead and say, yes, you are not saved by them, but because it's the Holy Spirit that actually produces them in us, can actually control that we are in the narrow path. On the contrary, if our fruit doesn't measure up, then it's very difficult to say whether we are in the path or leading us, we are self-deceived in our own path. Abby, you have anything to add to that? Maybe I would add and say that um, Scripture says that God, uh, Jesus said that if you know me, then you have come to know the Father. So by looking at Jesus, the kind of lifestyle that Jesus lived, the way he thought, the things he advocated for, and if you're able to mirror, like, mirror them, then you are more Christ-like. You are Christ-like. And that way, you we can say that you have found the path. Because at the end of the day, it's about the fruits. Do these fruits glorify God? Do they bring you close? Is it um, ref a reflection of Jesus Christ? So that is what I'd like to add. Okay. So the fruit, I would tell us someone has found the way. So does this mean it is impossible um, for someone to actually find the way but not portray the fruit? The 
well, the fruit are the works that this works that we speak. It's impossible to actually, you know, as a, when you read the book of Second Corinthians five seventeen, that talk of us being a new creation. That simply means that we were dead, but now we are alive, and there must be a clear and an antithetical difference of who we were and who we now are. And what a clear way compared to the fruit that we produce. That previously we were actually estranged, but now that you have been engrafted, we can't continue producing the same fruit. Because the Holy Spirit is working in us. Ephesians 1 13 say that that's the seal of our salvation. And if the Holy Spirit is truly in us, the manifestation is then the fruit of the Holy Spirit as we read in Galatians 5 from verses 22, that we can't actually walk in the Spirit, uh, again, Galatians 5.16, and not produce this fruit. Reason is, it goes hand in hand. It comes as one package. That, the moment I confess Christ, I move from just professing Him to actually possessing Him by bearing the fruit that He calls me to bear. Because uh, again, Luke 6.46 would tell us, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I tell you to do. I'm not saying that we are saved by works, but the works are actually, that's why James asked the question that uh, he pinpoints when you read James 2.17 that faith without action is dead. And I like what Addis probably once alluded that if you actually receive this saving faith, then you are going to produce the fruit that now James talk of. They come as a one package. You can't distinguish them. Huh. Okay. Um, final question. Well, concerning this this particular uh discussion about the narrow gate. So, what does this mean for for Christians when when they when I read this word? What is the word telling me to do? What are there any practical steps that you can give to someone who has just read this verse and is wondering what is this verse telling me? Because it's telling me that it's difficult to find this narrow way. So what do I need to do about it? Um, concerning the narrow gate, Scripture tells us in John chapter 15, we are told, abide in me and I in you. Yeah, we are told, um, if, my word, if you abide in me and my words remain in you, then ask whatever you wish and it shall be fulfilled. So first of all, it, it's a matter of you knowing what does the scripture says. See, what does God's word say? We are told that scripture is the words in uh, the Bible. The words in the Bible are purified. They are like um, gold and silver that has been purified up to seven times. So these are not just mere words. They are words that have been looked into like they are purified. So first of all, it takes you to read the word and understand it. And as you're reading it, you're not doing it alone. Because even as in the Lord's Prayer, we are told, we say our father. We don't say my father because we are a family. So that means that it takes a lot of connection with other uh, with fellow Christians for you to grow. Because um, we are told that we should not neglect the gathering of brethren. In Titus chapter 3, you, you'll realize that we are told that we should continually commune so that we may not be carried away by the deceitfulness of sin. When you're alone, you're more likely to be the standard. But when you're in constant communi- communion with p- other people, who are also encountering the Holy Spirit, you get to realize that, oh, there are certain sins that we have but that I didn't think I, I did. And there are certain deeds. We're told to uh, 
spur each other in noble, in noble character. Whatever is good, whatever is noble, we should do it. And you realize that, you find that if you have such kind of friends or such a community, then you are spurred into the right direction. Also, there's the concept of prayer, which is a conversation where you talk to God and you expect an answer from him. It, it takes you to understand the different ways in which God speaks. God speaks through visions. He, speak through, he speaks through people. He speaks through your conscience. He speaks through different things. There are different ways in which God speaks. So for you to find that narrow gate, it takes you, your dedication, your intentionality, community, and of course the Holy Spirit, who is the most important one. Yes. Okay. One of the ways the, the, that God speaks is through, you've said through people. Yeah. Um, it, it takes me to Paul mm -hmm. uh, in his first letter, Paul to to well to the Romans, and that that that's what our second discussion is going to be measured on, particularly on chapter six from verse one to fourteen. The topic was dead to sin, um, and my question, my first question would be, uh, what does it mean to be dead to sin and alive to God? Uh, According to um, yes, this chapter, chapter six. What does it mean to be dead to sin and alive to God? Brian, okay. Paul, when he's penning this letter to the church in Rome, is basically anchoring his message on the gospel, and he starts by presenting a dichotomy of the law and grace. And just the previous chapter is talking about our justi justification. After our justification, it talks about now our sanctification. And as part of our sanctification, he zooms in to verses chapter 6, verses 11, and he says that actually you should be mortified. He talks about our mortification. That is, we should kill sin. We should die to sin. When you read the book of Ephesians, it talks of that we were dead in sin. But now what he's calling us to is, to be dead to sin. This means is that we renounce sin and its deceitfulness. That we actually become alive by embracing the gospel of Christ that in his death, we die in his death for us to live in his life. The beauty of the death of Christ is that is only is the only life-giving death that we've ever encountered. That as we embrace him as the savior of the world, and accept him to be the Lord of our lives, we become dead. And that is the clarion call that Christ is making to us, that we, the moment we embrace the death that he's calling us to, to lose our lives, as it say in Luke 9, 24, for us to actually gain him who gives life, that we are dead in our flesh, we are dead in the desires of the world, but then that makes us alive by renouncing sin and its deceitfulness and walking in consistency and sin. Does this mean that, is it a choice to to be dead to sin and alive to God? Is it a choice we make? One, I'd say God is sovereign over salvation. He's a sovereign call. When you read the book of John 6.37, he says that none can come to me unless the Father draws them. God the Father draws us to him. The Holy Spirit convicts us unto salvation. And then he also empowers us to actually respond to this. And how do we respond? We respond to the gospel by allowing the Holy Spirit to regenerate us so that our heart is actually, when you read the story of Lydia, 
when Paul was sharing the gospel in Acts 16, it's actually God who opens the heart of Lydia to embrace the gospel. And this what I'd say here, that, well, can we deny in our own account? Not really. But with the help of God, as a sovereign God, and then our responsibility, where we allow God to be sovereign, but then at the same time we exercise our responsibility as men by embracing him. Because to God, that's not a contradiction. He knows in his sovereignty and in his omniscience how that harmoniously coexists. That he sovereignly draws us to him, but he also helps us to sovereignly again respond to him without having any contradiction. That all of us, there's that part. God plays his part, but also we ourselves have a part and a role to play. Okay. Abby, do you have anything to add to that? Maybe a Bible verse that told to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in us to give us the will to do something. So it takes it takes two to tango in this case, where the Holy Spirit is continually working in you, working through your desires, working through your needs, your wants, and all those things. And then there's that part where you work it out. Like when you tell me you're going to work out, I, I understand that you're going to exercise. So that means you already have a body to work out, right? So that means the salvation you have it's not by, by your own strength. You are given, you are first given. So for you to even work it out, it's a matter of you receiving it first and then doing it. because uh, And working it out in accordance to the will of the Father, to the desires that the Holy Spirit is putting you in, 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 in your spirit. Yes. Oh. Okay. Verse, verse 12 talks about, chapter 6, verse 12, talks about, oh, I'll, I'll read. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as a being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Um... What does this scripture tell us in light to what we have mentioned about intentionality uh, in, in, in working out our salvation? Uh, because we have mentioned that the Lord is sovereign, um, sovereign in, in our salvation, but still we are given, this is a command actually, because of everything he has said, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should not obey in its lusts. Is, is it within our power to not obey in the lusts of the flesh? And if so, how? See, uh, the verse he alluded to in the book of Philippians 2.13 that says, it is God who works in us both to do and to will according to his good pleasure. That as also Paul is writing to the church in in, in Philippi, in Philippians 1, 6, that he who began the good work in us is able to bring it unto completion. That salvation is initiated by God, it is sustained by God, and it is perfected by God. That as the Holy Spirit comes in us, it makes us conscious of sin. That we don't do this in our own strength, nor in our own ability. But rather, because of the Holy Spirit continually working in us and conforming us to the image of the Son, then we can be able to actually crucify the deeds of the flesh. In our own our own righteousness, as Isaiah would be quick to remind us in Isaiah 64, 6, is like filthy rags. Any attempt that is driven by our own flesh 
is actually falling short. But when we die in Christ, as Galatians 2.20 says, that we have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer us that live, but Christ living in us, then you are able to actually mortify our bodies. We are able to resist sin, not in our own strength, because in our own strength we are limited and we'll, we are bound to fail. But like here, when you are told of we shouldn't allow sin to reign in us, the best way to do that is surrendering to Christ and telling him to take the steering wheel and drive us to the destination he so desires. To allow him to help us bear the fruit that he's calling us to, as she said, by abiding in him and walking in him. Colossians 2, 6 and 7 says that as you have received Christ, so let us also walk in him. Now the beauty is, as we embrace him, he actually is there to walk with us step by step to help us resist sin. Because on our own, we definitely can't. Yeah. Abby? Right. Um, for us not to offer ourselves up to, offer any part of us to the sin, it takes a lot of intimacy with the Holy Spirit for us to successfully manage it. Because he's the one who convicts us. Because for one, sin in itself is deceptive. Yeah? We are told we should gather with other brethren so that we should not get caught up with the deceitfulness of sin. The enemy himself is like a roaring lion seeking for whom to devour. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And in fact, he goes a step ahead to even steal the truth from us. So it takes you to have communion with the Holy Spirit, who is also the spirit of truth, to guide you through life. Yeah? And also intentionality on your part. Because there's a Bible verse that says that um, so the, the mouth that calls me Lord, Lord, is the same mouth that is cursing my people. The people that Jesus died for. For it, he, the, the person who Jesus sacrificed his life for. So it takes intentionality also on your part. Like, am I, what the words I speak, are they in line with God? Would God be happy if he had them? Um, are they thoughtful? Are they kind? Are they impactful? Are they in line with the Holy Spirit? Because we know the fruits of the Holy Spirit. So with that understanding, you know that if I do this by God's strength, he can guide me through. Also, it takes um, a keen observance of your heart posture. Scripture says that the heart of man is desperately wicked. Come to think of it, how many times have you expressed love with very ulterior motives, with motives that weren't even right? They weren't Christ-like, but you did so. And the person maybe received it out of love, but they didn't see it. So it takes you to... Commit your heart to God, yet asking God to search your heart like David did. He said he, he continually asked God, God, search my heart through and through and test it. Tell me what is fearful, T search any anxious thought and, and reveal it. So it's a matter of also guarding our hearts. God, scripture tells us in Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart with all diligence for out of it flows the issues of life. And the, uh, and the spiritual gifts that we have is the eyes and the ears. What do you listen to? What are you watch, What are you watching? Because that will influence even the dreams that you have, the words that you speak, and so much more. So that's what. So what what you guys are saying is because we are dead to sin, mm -hmm. and but we died with Christ and and and, and rose again. Um, because we we do that, then we need not to let, as verse twelve says, uh, we need not to obey in the lusts uh, of the body of our mortal bodies. And that the Lord uses that working out of our salvation, that intentionality that we have uh, in working out, he uses that to continually perfect us, mm. to make us like him. Sure. 
that's that's yeah, that's interesting okay final question um verse 14 says that for sin shall not have dominion over you for you are not under law um but under grace what does it mean uh what does what does well the first part sin shall not have dominion over you what does that mean in this particular well what does that mean because we also have to realize that we are still in the presence of sin sure and even the bible tells us that if we say we do not have sin we deceive ourselves mm-hmm. paul himself says that what what i want to do i don't mm-hmm. what i do not want to do i do and there's also scripture tells us that if you do something that you you know is mm-hmm. wrong then than in itself a sin sure so what what does what because the bible doesn't contradict itself what does um for sin shall not have dominion over you mean okay just to apply basic hermeneutics of scripture interpret scripture possibly i'd draw us to the book of first john chapter 5 and this is what john writes and says from verse 16 he says this that if anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death he should pray and god will give him life i refer to those whose sin does not lead to death there is a sin that leads to death i am not saying that he should pray about that all wrongdoing is sin and there is sin that does not lead to death my main verse verse is 18 we know that anyone born of god does not continue to sin the one who was born of god keeps him safe and the evil one cannot harm him what what the bible definitely when it talks of sin we must understand that one we are simultaneously righteous and at the same time simultaneously sinful in that we are yet to be glorified and here on earth we are on a journey to perfection yes as matthew 5:48 to tell us we are in a journey of being perfected and the holy spirit is still working in us but willful and continual sinning is what the bible is against because this verse basically is about people taking advantage of the grace of god that we don't i won't continue in sin willful sinning and ex- expect that god is going the grace of god is continually going to abound because this grace is actually supposed to teach me to say no to all forms of ungodliness so what i'd say is yes as sinful as we are we are supposed to go to god in repentance but then we should work out our salvation in a manner that we are in a path the narrow path by walking in holiness as god still enables us so that you also don't take advantage of the grace of god continual sinning is the main idea here okay um when the law when the law was introduced or it was stated it pointed out sin and that sin um is resulted in death but then now there was a the concept of grace which resulted in righteousness so and this righteousness is is not something we do because then in the when during the when we had the law we when when we were under the law i mean uh, our deeds are what determined our level of righteousness but now we have grace so our level of righteousness is not dependent on what we do but it is dependent on our faith in jesus christ because we are saved by grace through faith so that is 
And that's why our sin, and I'm also being reminded that sin shall no longer be our master. When we die, that means there's an, an aspect of us that died, yeah? And when he rose up again with Christ, there's an input we get from him. So that is what we're supposed to be relying on for us to remain alive in Jesus Christ. And that's and that which was given, the gift that was given to us was the Holy, the gift of the Holy Spirit, who is our advocate, who is our counselor, who is our teacher. So that is we should rely on the Holy Spirit for for guidance that we may, we shall be able to fully, um, that we shall be able to renounce the power of sin. Also, we have the grace that has been provided. That grace was given to us so that we may uh, say no to any form of ungodliness. So this grace is potent enough. And we should realize its potency for us to fully work in it. That that reminds me of an, an episode we had before, but well, um, as we also try to figure out our parting shot for for people, what do you think people should know as we come uh, to an end? It reminds us of uh, we were talking about the bronze snake, and uh, I remember we said that that at the time Israel had been made free. Um, they were no longer slaves in Egypt, but even in the wilderness, in their minds, they were still uh, pegged on Egypt. They asked Moses, you know, were there no graves back in Egypt um, for us to die and be buried there? You had to bring us out to the desert to, uh, to be buried. They did not realize that the Lord had actually set them free. Uh, it, it, can, it, well, I, I would use that here also. Um, when the Bible says that sin shall not have dominion over you. It tells us that we have been made free from uh, from sin when we receive Christ, that we are no longer slaves to sin. We no longer serve sin as our master. We do not uh, fulfill our bodily desires and lusts so that sin actually gets to grow in us, but we work towards our new master, uh, who is Christ. Now that That is my biggest takeaway from this that Christ himself tells us that we need to enter uh, through the narrow gate we need to find this narrow gate we need to find him and in him we are dead to sin in him we are alive in God by the very reasons we have said that he has set us free from sin and now we are to live a life uh, free of sin according to how he has called us to live yeah that's what that, that's that's my biggest takeaway from this so what is yours as we come close, well, as we come to an end of our episode today? Draw our listeners to the book of Second Corinthians. And Paul is exhorting us to examine ourselves. It's a moment of self-introspection and retrospection that are you just calling him Lord, but you're not doing the very things that he has called us to? Are you calling him the way, but you're not walking in him as the way? Are you calling him life, but you're not living in him? So this then is a clarion call, that if it is truly your Lord and your Savior, then desire to be like him, to be conformed to him, and to reflect the image of his crucified son, so that in the end, it will be said of us, in, as Matthew 25:23 says, that good and faithful servant. Welcome to the joy of your Lord. So that's the church. For us to live lives that are actually, we are dead in sin for us to enter through the narrow gate. Thank you. Thanks. For me, it's 
it's a deeper understanding of what it means to be dead to sin. For take for example a tree. There's certain trees that when you cut a certain tip, the apical, I think it's an apical tip, it stops growing up upwards. And that certain tips if you cut, you won't it won't grow to the it won't like the branches won't broaden. So in that sense, it means that that part in you has been chopped off. And that's what it means that's what it means to be dead in sin. And that's how you get your freedom because scripture says that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So when you accepted Jesus Christ, you have the mark of the Holy Spirit. And therefore you are, you are fully equipped to defy sin. The Bible says that um, he has given us all things we need to li- we, that we need in life, for, to, that we need to lead a godly life. All things, not a few things, but all things. So you are, God has endowed you with everything as a believer. And he knows that you are able to complete this race because that's his desire. He doesn't gain anything from um, a soul perishing. His, jo- his delight is in you coming to him. So let's believe, uh, let's continue, continue in our faith. Let's hold firm to our faith and believe that the good work that God started in us, he shall surely accomplish it because he's a, he is a faithful God. Yes. And that he is. Uh, thank you so much, Amit and Brad, for the discussion today. It has been very insightful. And I am praying that also people who listen and watch have gained just as much as we have. I'm saying we hope that we, we too have been edified. So thank you so much for listening. Um, let's keep this conversation going as usual. What do you think about Matthew chapter 7, 13? What what has it spoken to you about Romans chapter 6 from verse 1 to 14 about being dead to sin? Have, are you dead to sin and alive to God? Uh, the more we talk about this, the more we are edified by the Lord. Once again, thank you so much for listening. This is After Service Live. See you next time.